our focus today is from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were, the, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. And uh, a blessed Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. Uh, I was reminded that this is the first time in 84 years that Ash Wednesday has fallen on the same date as Valentine's Day. And so we've got kind of a dual combination here to celebrate, don't we? I want to begin with the words of Psalm 139. I believe it sets the stage for our, our Lenten remembrance. It goes like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any wicked, any sinful way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting life. Amen. You know, I don't like to do hard things. I tend to put them off. An example, I've still got a couple of Christmas boxes sitting around of things that I should have put away a long time ago. Why is that so hard? I don't know. Maybe it's because we have too much stuff. <laughs> I don't like necessarily hard conversations. Do you? I, I don't like difficult circumstances. I don't even like hard trips, difficult trips like the one I, in the next three weeks I've got a dentist appointment and my annual physical. I don't like those trips, okay? And yet, isn't it a fact that when we are challenged, when we faced difficult situations and conversations and relationships and hard things, 
isn't that when we rely on the God who loves us and who promises that He's going to always take care of us? That no matter what we face, that He's going to be there for us and He's going to get us through it? Well, tonight we especially uh, receive that that message, that truth, as we think about the passage you just read about, also Genesis 22, and it's one of the great stories of the Bible, where Abraham is tested in his faith. You remember Abraham was chosen by God uh, to have a covenant relationship with him. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you will be my people And you're going to have as many descendants as sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. And Abraham waited, and his wife Sarah, and they waited and waited, and they were well up in their age, too old to have children, but they still trusted in God's promise. And finally, one day, Sarah gave birth to a child, and they named him Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise. And yet, uh, and, and as things are going so smooth for Abraham and Isaac, you know, Isaac's growing up to be a fine young man, thank you, and all of a sudden one day, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, the son that I had promised, the son that you hoped for, the son that you waited for, the son that you love so much, I will show you the place And you should go there, and there you will sacrifice your son. Wow, what a difficult, what a difficult test that God is. It's impossible. Why would God ask something like that? You know, the son who was to be the child of promise. And yet, tonight, if you've been walking on this earth for any length of time, you've faced challenges and tests in your life too. You've been there. When life with God seems uncomfortable, when things like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, when things seem to be going pretty smoothly, when all of a sudden you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. You're not perfect, but you know God's grace in Christ. But when that time comes, it's, it's a challenge. When the diagnosis comes, When the car accident happens, when the cutback at work occurs, when a spouse all of a sudden decides that they don't want to be married anymore, when a loved one passes away. And what happens is that the the God of promise, just like for Abraham and Sarah, the God whom you trust becomes a God who is difficult to understand. Have you been there? It's a hard thing to struggle with God's will. And God's will on this side of heaven, we have to be honest, sometimes seems a bit ridiculous, just as if it is for Abraham at being asked to sacrifice his son. Especially when, you've, when you face some of, those, some of those things that just don't make sense. Well, tonight as we consider this story of Abraham, who was called to offer up his only son, we remember that God is faithful. 
Let me just uh, take you through a bit of, of this story again. And uh, maybe some of you studied this in Sunday school. I was just talking with Eric back there. Uh, we don't have the picture, but I always remember the Sunday school picture when Abraham has the knife in his hand and he's about to come down upon his, only, his, his son Isaac. When there in the distance, there's a lamb, a ram that's caught in the thicket. This is the leading up to it. It said, God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham? And Abraham said, here I am, Lord. He said, I want you to take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. You know, that mountain later became Jerusalem. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men, servants, with them, along with his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And get this, it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. God had told him that his son would be sacrificed three days earlier. For three days, Isaac was dead to his father. He had to think about it. He agonized over it. For three days, finally, they get to the place of the sacrifice. And Abraham said to his servants, he said, stay here with the donkey and we, I and the boy, will go over there and worship, and get this, here's faith, and come back to you. Even though God is asking Abraham to kill his only son, Abraham believes that somehow God's going to make this happen for a good, that we will come back after we have worshiped. So here's what happened. Isaac said to his father once they got there, my father, here I am my son. Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and when they came to the place that God had told them, Abraham built the, the altar and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar. And then Abraham reached his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I just... I can't imagine that scene. From a human standpoint, you have to wonder why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? And yet living in a sin-filled world, we don't always know why God tells us to do things. We're not always sure why God allows us to go through times of testing just like Abraham and Isaac we aren't always sure as we face relationships that seem to be dying or a dream that you once had and you realize that it's not going to happen. Living in a sin-filled world, we know what it's like to mourn. And we know what it's like to think about loss just as Abraham did for his son. The Bible says, though, that the real issue here is, is sin. The wages of sin is death. And we live with the ongoing results of sin. Sin that we inherited from our parents, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. But it's not just that. It's the sins that we do, that we commit. It's the sins that we in our omission that we fail to do in loving and caring, in loving God and caring for other people. And so we see these issues. You know, let's go back to our text. 
when uh, the God who was hard to understand tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, we know that God is still in control. And when Isaac looks around and he asks his dad, where's the lamb? The author of Hebrews that you heard from Pastor Max says that even then, Abraham reasoned that God could raise his son from the dead. That even if he did kill Isaac, that somehow, some way, God would work it out and he would still have the child of promise. Abraham trusted in God's promises that God would provide, that God would provide the lamb for the sacrifice. It would be provided. Well, what does it teach us? It means that even though we face sin and death and we face loss all around us every day, even though we mourn all the things of this world of sin, even though we face things we cannot understand, we can faithfully reason along with Abraham that somehow God's going to work it out, that somehow, some way, God will keep His promises. And we can trust Him even in the midst of things that don't make sense. Are you a roller coaster rider? You know, I have found that there are two kinds of roller coaster riders. There are those who uh, are going along with the the flow, and uh, usually it's peer pressure, and they really don't enjoy roller coasters, but they're going to go along for the ride, right? And so they get in the line, and as they go up there, they look at these speeding cars and the screams and the yells of the roller coaster, and you can just see a lump in their throats. And then they get up, and it's time to get into the car. And the bar comes down, the lap bar, and they're holding on to that with white knuckles. And they're ready to go, and all they can think about is the car jumping off the tracks, around that curve that's up ahead. All they can think about is, I'm not going to live to see the next day. And when they get off the ride, you, you can see a green pail about their face. And they're thinking to themselves, or they say it, oh, this was a lot of fun. Not. I'm never going to do this again, right? On the other hand, there are people like my oldest daughter. She loves roller coasters. And uh, people like, like her, she, they, they get in, they, they're smiling as they get up in line and they see these cars whizzing by. And then they get into their, into their seat and instead of holding on to the lap bar uh, for, 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 for life, okay, when they go up to the top, they raise their hands. They're so excited that they want to be weightless as they experience this ride. And then they go around the, the curve with five G-forces and, and their head is bulging and they're smiling the whole way. And then they, then they get off the, the roller coaster and say, Dad, that was fun. Let's go do that again, okay? There was one roller coaster, my daughter, daughter at uh, Disney World, that we went on 12 times. We were there to the very end of when it closed, so we just kept going around and around on that roller coaster. But isn't life a lot like a roller coaster? Think about it. You know, you, you, you never know what to expect. And as we approach life, we know that things can seem pretty smooth when you're going up that first hill and you're just going, and you look around and you see the beauty and the trees and the people and, you know, nothing's going to happen. 
But then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. And that happens so much in life, doesn't it? And then instead of a smooth, straight line, you've got these, these, these turns and these ups and these downs. And that's, that's the way life is. And for some people, all it does is it causes them to worry. And it brings us down. And we think about all the bad things that can happen. And yet for us as God's people, as we face the ups and downs of life and the curves, the challenges... As we face it as God's people, we have a God who promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have a God who has made us his own in our baptism, who says, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you belong to me. We have a God who says that my grace will be sufficient for you, no matter what you go through. And so how do we approach life? How do we approach those, those difficult things that we've gone through or that we have ahead of us? You know, one of the neat things about this story of Abraham and Isaac is that it happened hundreds, even thousands of years ago, uh, and we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know what God did. We know that just as Abraham drew the knife back, to kill his son, that God provided a substitute there in the bushes, a lamb. And what does all that mean? It was about 2,000 years later that the very lamb of God took the sins of the world upon himself. He became our substitute. He became the punishment that we deserved for our sins. So that now we hang on to Him. We trust in Him. You know, Jesus, yes, the very Lamb of God. It looked like it was the end for Him too. And it looked like that sacrifice made no sense whatsoever for Jesus to die on a cross. He didn't do anything wrong until the very Lamb of God arose from the dead three days later. So that now the victory that Jesus won for us is real. And just as God provided for Abraham and Isaac, the Lord provides for you and me. Everything that we need in this life, but most of all, He provides for us the gift of everlasting life. That this veil of tears is not going to be ours forever. And that one day we will be with Him in heaven. Did I mention earlier that I don't like to do hard things? You probably don't either. And yet when we face hard times or difficult things, just as Abraham faced the impossible of sacrificing his only son, we trust in the God who has defeated Satan and sin and death. On, and on this evening where we receive ashes in the form of a black cross. Yes, we remember that we are dust. We remember what sin has done for us. We remember the death that is a result of sin. And yet, the ashes are placed on your forehead or on your hand in a plus sign, the sign of the cross, to remind you who died for you, who rose again for you, who has made you His own, 
so that you can face life with a confidence, with a faith to know that God is always there for you so that even when things don't make sense, God is still on the move, that he's still working in your life and you don't give up and you trust in him just as Abraham did and Isaac. Well, happy Valentine's Day. As you remember the red heart, you remember the heart of God and his love for you to take away your sins by his son, Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Amen.